So as we are standing, we want to read, all of us to read out loud our scripture passage for today, which is from the book of Matthew chapter 2. This is God's word to us. Let's read this out loud together. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Father, we thank you for your word to us. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and to apply this word to each one of our lives. I give you, Lord, all of my preparation, and I pray that you would fill me now and you would use use me for your glory. May the words of my mouth bring honor to you and be a demonstration of your spirit's power. We love you, God. Speak to us from your word now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So hello, Christ community. So glad all of you are here. I love our church and all that God is doing in our church. One of the things that we like to do this time of year is is put together an impact report, which is something you can find in your newsletter if you want to pull that out. It is just to look at. It is a way to to celebrate some of the cool things God has done in our church family this past year. Your generosity made this happen, so way to go, Christ community. And I wanted to mention that our giving increased in November, which is awesome. Uh, We are still behind budget, but we are moving in the right direction. And, And by the way, some of you have asked, why are we behind budget? You know, have we significantly increased expenditures? I mean, what's going on? Actually, The primary reason is because last March, we finished a stewardship campaign called For the City and Beyond. And part of the money raised in that campaign went towards these amazing kingdom initiatives, both in Greeley and around the world. Things like our International Training Institute, which has gone to uh, 22 countries, 75 ITIs this year, and also our For the City network um, in, in our local community. We didn't want those things to stop even though the campaign was ending. And so we brought those areas into our general fund. So basically we now have one fund. 
So when you, we're not in a campaign, so when you give to Christ Community, you are investing in God's work in all of these amazing areas. So again, thank you for your generosity. This is a great time of year to make sure your giving is up to date um, for, the, for the year. And also thank you uh, to those who are considering an additional year-end gift to the work of God at this church. You all are amazing and God is doing amazing things. Okay, so during this Advent season, we are focusing on a fascinating part of the Christmas story that really helps ground us in the midst of the chaos and the distractions and the, the emotional weight of this season. So instead of us just trying to survive the holidays and just hang on, you know, we're, we're talking about this story is showing us how we can spiritually thrive in this season, no matter what is going on uh, in our lives our teachers in this series are the Magi, or sometimes referred to as the wise men, who, as we read a moment ago, um, engage in this very long journey to find the baby Jesus. These Magi were influential, highly respected men from Persia who were known for their wisdom and knowledge and spiritual sensitivity. So this group of Magi as they, as they, as they were studying the heavens and the stars, they see this particular sign in heaven, this a star that has risen. And because of their familiarity with some of the Old Testament prophecies, they realize this is a sign that a king of the Jews has been born. And so they set out to find this king. They, they, they make this thousand mile journey on foot to find this newborn king. So what is the purpose of their journey? Well, Matthew makes it very clear. He makes it very clear in the passage that we read. Notice what the Magi say when they get to Jerusalem. Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. That's what this is about. That's why they are making this arduous journey. That's why they are trying to find Jesus. They want to worship Jesus. Now, often when we hear the word worship, we immediately think of singing. <clears throat> And while singing is certainly a part of, of worship, the Magi show us that worship, worship is so much more than that. Worship is really a way of life. It's a way of life. And so two weeks ago, <clears throat> Rocky did a great job exploring the first aspect of worship that the Magi teach us, and that is seeking. True worshipers of Jesus are people who earnestly and passionately seek him. Well, last week then we talked about a second aspect of worship that the Magi revealed, and that's the, the, the idea of allegiance. So genuine worship is about offering our allegiance to Jesus as king, letting Jesus be king and Lord of every area of our lives. Well, today I want us to look at a third aspect of worship that the Magi revealed to us. So look again at verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. So what are these influential, knowledgeable, wise, highly respected, spiritually sensitive leaders do when they finally arrive at the home of Mary and Joseph? Well, Matthew tells us that they bowed down and worshiped Jesus. Now, the original language that Matthew uses is actually a little bit more vivid than this description. The word Matthew uses literally means to fall. When they see Jesus, they instinctively fall on their face before this king and worship him. 
Now, why didn't they just remain standing to, to, to worship him? Why did they assume this different bodily posture when they were in the presence of Jesus? Well, here's why. The position of our body reflects the posture of our heart. The position of our body reflects the posture of our heart. Their hearts knew that they were in the presence of a king and their bodies naturally wanted to reflect that heart posture. It wasn't something mandated. It wasn't something that was forced. It was a genuine expression of their heart, their worship. Now, we have a very familiar term in our society that describes this dynamic, that describes this reality. It's the term body language, right? Body language. Our, what body language means, we all know this, is, is our facial gestures, our, our countenance, our eye contact or lack of eye contact, our hand or arm positions, you know, our posture. All of these things communicate volumes about what is really going on in our hearts, Without someone saying anything, we can often see things like fear or discouragement or joy or excitement or peace simply in a person's body language. So our bodies reflect what is going on in our heart. But there's another, there's another aspect of this as well. More and more studies are revealing that this actually goes the other direction also. Our bodies can influence our hearts. So not only do our bodies sometimes ref they, they reflect what's going on in our hearts, it can go the other direction. Our bodies can influence our heart. So for instance, a decision to smile, whether you feel like it or not, a decision to smile actually increases our level of joy. Scientific research has shown that smiling releases endorphins and serotonin in our body, which make us feel better. I remember watching this fascinating TED talk about how our body posture uh, impacts our self-esteem and how we're impacted by, or how we're perceived by other people. And so this body language expert that was doing the TED talk, she described how she actually coaches people to right before a job interview, she coaches them to go in a room by themselves and for like two minutes, just do this Superman like big expansive posture. So hold their arms out, their head up and just to stand like this for like two minutes. She coaches them and do this right before the job interview, rather than this diminutive posture. And she has research to show how practicing this posture ahead of time positively impacts how well people do in the interview and also how these people actually feel about themselves. Okay, so what does all this have to do with worship? A lot. A lot, because as we've been talking about in this series, genuine worship is something that happens in the heart, right? It's not just songs we sing, words we sing. It's something that's happening in the heart. See, as human beings, we cannot separate our bodies, our physical bodies from our heart. They are intimately connected. This is how God made us. This is how God wired us. What our body is doing impacts our heart. And what our heart is doing impacts our physical body. <clears throat> and this has a huge impact upon our experience of worship. Our bodies play a critical role in how our hearts engage in worship. 
So this is why in the Bible, we see a number of different ways that our bodies can engage in worship. And in doing so, we are invited into this dynamic of our bodies influencing our hearts and our hearts influencing our bodies. Now, please hear me. I want to say this right up front. I am not advocating for any one particular expression of worship as being the be-all and end-all of worship, that you are more, you're more spiritual if you do this particular thing, whatever it is, with your body in worship. I'm not saying that. I am not saying that. We are all different, and there are different ways that we all engage in worship. What I am, however, what I am longing for is for our church to continue to cultivate an atmosphere of freedom in worship where all of us can grow in our experience of worshiping God with our hearts and our bodies. So what I want to do is briefly look at a number of different ways in the Bible that we are encouraged to worship God with our physical bodies, and then to see the heart connection to each one of them, because each bodily posture represents a particular thing going on in our, in our heart. There's a connection there. So the Magi show us one of the ways, we'll start here, one of the ways our bodily posture can express worship, and that is to actually lay down on our face before God. This was Peter's response to Jesus when, G, when he saw Jesus do that first miracle with, you know, nothing was going on, and then all of a sudden, put your net there, and, and Peter was kind of freaking out. He fell at his feet because he saw he was in the presence of, you know, something he, he didn't know what you know, was going on, but this was big, uh, you know, and so he fell at Jesus' feet. This is a posture of humility, your, your, your body, in this posture, your body is getting as low as it possibly can, physically speaking. It's getting as low as it possibly can to acknowledge the worthiness of God in comparison. Now, a second bodily posture that we see in Scripture is to bow the knee or to kneel. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. See, when we choose to kneel before God, our bodily posture reflects our heart's desire to humble ourselves and acknowledge God's greatness. Now, sometimes we may want to kneel as a way to acknowledge God's greatness. We may want to kneel. There's a desire in our heart. God is so great. I just want to kneel before him. So sometimes it happens that way. But other times... Kneeling is more of a choice we make, not because we feel like it. It's, it's a choice we make because of where we want our hearts to be. For instance, if pride is an issue in your life, if you feel like God has been speaking to you about humility and wanting you to humble yourself and all that, I would encourage you to consider kneeling sometimes in worship. Either when you're alone and spending time alone you know, in your time with God, um, or in a worship service. Kneeling is a way to express humility before God. Another posture of humility is to bow our head in worship, to bow our head. So in Exodus chapter 4, there's this really powerful um, example of this, where the people who've been enslaved for hundreds of years in Egypt, horrible slavery, 
And, and Moses comes to them. He is sent from God to come to the people. He, and, and Moses' message to them is, hey, God has seen your plight. He sees you. He knows what's going on. He has seen your plight, and he wants to rescue you. And when they heard this, this is what happens. We read, when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. What a beautiful posture of worship. I wonder if they were weeping when that happened. Because a lot of times when we weep, we naturally bow our head. There is a humility, there is a tenderness in this particular body posture of worship to bow our head. Now there's another posture related to our head and that is to lift up our head, to lift up our eyes. Lifting up our head reflects a posture of face-to-face connection. So David writes in Psalm 3, he writes, But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. See, sometimes we drop our head because we're ashamed. Right? Sometimes we drop our head in worship because we're ashamed. We don't want to make eye contact because we messed up or we don't feel good about ourselves or whatever. You know, I feel that way with Raylene. You know, sometimes if I know I've hurt her in some way, I don't want to make eye contact, uh, you know, because of my own shame. <clears throat> so this decision in worship to lift our heads to lift our head, is a, it's huge because it counteracts our natural tendency to feel shame in God's presence. We feel like we, met, we're too, we messed up too much. You know, we're, we're, we're too sinful. We don't want to lift our head because we're, kind of, we're ashamed. But the reality is, in Christ, we are forgiven. We are beloved sons and daughters of God. Always. <laughs> um, so we are washed in the blood of Jesus. We are his sons and daughters. So if you have a hard time, like many of us, probably all of us at times, some, if you have a hard time believing in your heart that you are the beloved of God, or maybe you, you are in a worship service, or maybe to, you know, today or whatever, and you're, you're in a worship service, but you just are feeling like there's no way God loves me, I'm too messed up, all of that. I would encourage you to try and to choose to lift your head and worship and receive his face-to-face gaze, his loving face-to-face gaze. Again, see, this is one of those examples, the example I just gave, this is one of those examples where we want our heart to follow our body, right? Something is not happening in our heart, but we want it to happen in our heart. And so we're going to choose to do something with our body. We're going to choose to lift up our head because we want our heart to follow our body. By choosing to look up, we are allowing our heart to experience God's love, to experience his love. 
just in the way that we're, po- we're posturing our body. See, this is a key part of the blessing that we, we sometimes do at the end of a service. We always do a blessing, but sometimes we do the one from Numbers chapter 6. This is part of the child blessing weekend that we do every Mother's Day weekend <clears throat> where we have all the parents speak a blessing over their children. Um, and this is part of that blessing. Remember, it's, it's may the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. See, that's what this is about. This is that, that, that blessing is all about God's posture toward us. So he wants us to lift our head as a way to remember and experience this face-to-face delight that he has in us through Christ. Isn't that cool? <laughs> That's really cool. Okay, well now let's talk about our hands. Our hands. Our hands are another part of our body's posture in worship. There are, there are psalms where we are encouraged to, to clap our hands, right? Clapping is a way to express appreciation. It's a way to express honor to, to someone. Now, I know for some of us, um, clapping after a song feels confusing. Uh, you know, for some of us, maybe in the tradition you know, we grew up in, that no one ever did that or whatever. And, and then we wonder, are we clapping for the worship team? Or why are we clapping? You know, um, so it can be confusing. But actually, when we clap at the end of a song, it is a tangible way to express appreciation to God who is worthy of our worship. We are expressing our appreciation to him for all that he has done for us. So as a, as a birthday present for Raylene, a few weeks ago, I took her to see the Phantom of the Opera at the Buell, um, which was so much fun. Um, unbelievable performance. <clears throat> and at the end, I'm telling you, at the end, no one in that entire auditorium, there was no one who was not on their feet clapping. No one was forced to. It was a sincere, heartfelt expression of appreciation for what the people on stage had just done to bless us with their performance. See, when we clap at the end of a worship song, it's a little different in our context because we're not clapping for the performance of anyone. When we clap at the end of a worship song, we're expressing our appreciation to God for who he is and how he has blessed us and for how amazing he is. That's why we clap. That's why we clap. Again, it's not all the time we have to clap, every song, no, no, no. But that's why this would be a legitimate bodily expression of our worship. It's a biblical thing, and it reflects something going on in our hearts. Okay, another way to worship God with our hands is by raising our hands. You knew I was going to get there. Okay, Uh, so some of you are like, oh, no, here we go. Um, But no, in Psalm 63, the psalmist writes, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. So what is up with this hand-raising thing? Um, You know, if you're not from a tradition where hands were raised in worship, this may seem, this may be something really weird to you. It may feel really weird to you. And I totally get that. But raising hands in our worship, not only is it biblical, it it is a powerful way to express several heart postures, okay? It's not just one heart posture. It's not just one heart posture. It's one bodily posture, but it's, it's multiple heart postures, So one is a heart posture of celebration. I mean, what do you instinctively do when your team scores a touchdown? 
Come on, you know you do this. Yes, yes, high fives all around. Your hands go up automatically, right? They just do. It's, it's a posture of celebration. Why do our hands go up at a football game? Because or whatever, because we're celebrating. See, raising our hands in worship is a celebration of how great and awesome God is. Way more awesome than your football team, by the way, and mine too, uh, right? God is just awesome, okay? And so it's, it's, a, it's a way to express that celebration. Lifting our hands is also an expression of love and desire. What happens to your heart when your three-year-old granddaughter raises her hands to you? Do you ignore that? No. <laughs> it melts your heart, doesn't it? You joyfully pick her up and hold her. Her hands being raised to you is an expression of her desire and love for you. And you love it when she does that, right? The same thing is true in our lives with God. Sometimes we may choose to raise our hands as a way to say, Abba, Daddy, I need you. I just need you to hold me. It's an expression of desire and love. Raising our hands is also a tangible expression of surrender. I mean, what is the universal surrender, or universal symbol, universal symbol of surrender? Stick them up, right? Okay, come out with your hands up, right? You know, it's this, that's just this universal symbol of surrender, holding our hands up. That this is a beautiful way to express to the Lord, my life is yours. I'm taking my hands off the steering wheel. My life is yours. Now, a variation of this is to spread out our arms like this, which is great if you have enough room. Um, uh, you know, around you, you don't hurt anyone, but uh, just spread out your arms. Psalm 143 says, I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. I love this position. You know, it's just, it's this tangible way to express this longing. For me, it just feels like more, God. <laughs> you know, more of you. I can't even hold how, how big you are. And I just want more. So it's this, it's this expression of longing to God. And it's, this, it's also a tangible way just to say, hey, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. You know, this is all yours. It's, it's a beautiful way to, we do this with other people into our home. Hey, what, whatever you need. You know, this is, it's that same thing with God. It's a powerful way to express that heart to him. Wow, I mean, our hand, just our hands can communicate and express some incredibly powerful things going on in our hearts. Some powerful longings that we have inside of us, longings that can be expressed in our worship of Jesus, just with our hands. Now, so those are just a few of the ways, those things I just mentioned, those are just a few of the ways, there are more, but there are a few of the ways in the Bible that the Bible encourages us to utilize our body our bodies in our experience of worship. So here, here's my heart for us. Here's my heart for us. I want each one of us to grow. I want each one of us to grow in, our, in, our, in, our, in the breadth of our experience of worship. I want us to grow. See, that's what the Bible is inviting us into. Not, and this is really important, not simply a singular expression of worship, you know, our go-to worship posture, which we all have, 
We all have a go-to posture, right? Um, so I'm not talking about, the, the Bible says, just, just stay in that lane. Just go to that go-to posture whenever you're in worship. No, the Bible is inviting all of us to explore and expand our experience of worship by stepping out of our lane, stepping out of our comfort zone, and trying something different. So maybe you are one of those people that the minute the song starts, your hands are, yes, you know, your hands are up. You're one of those people that whatever the song, you're, you're just celebrating who God is, which is awesome. It's awesome. But so what that means is maybe for you, God is inviting you to experience a humble posture of worship, the quietness of sitting or kneeling in his presence because that's not what you're used to. That's not your go-to worship posture, but it reflects something really important to God, right? This heart posture is important. Maybe others of you gravitate towards standing with your arms at your sides and they are not moving. Um, and, and, and God perhaps is inviting you to engage your hands in worship as an expression of a longing in your heart. See, here's, here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. Whenever we try a different posture in worship, it is going to feel weird. And that's okay. All right? It's going to feel weird, and that's okay. There is, there is a freedom in the Lord to explore and to be uncomfortable and to take a risk. See, the value of doing that is huge. God loves getting us out of our comfort zone. We all know that, right? In, in multiple areas. <clears throat> The value of doing this is huge because it gets us out of our comfort zone and, and, and it gets us focused on where our heart needs to be, which is on Jesus. So remember what I said just a, a few minutes ago. Sometimes our body posture reflects what's going on in our hearts. This is cool when it happens, right? So we lift our hands or we clap or we lift our head because our heart is just so full of a particular emotion towards God and our body's just naturally responding to that. Sometimes it happens that way. But... This is so important. Sometimes our hearts are not feeling those things, but we long to experience those things. So we can choose as an act of our will to lift our hands. We, choo we choose as an act of our will to clap. We choose to kneel as an expression of where we want our heart to be. See, that decision can actually open a door for our hearts to experience what it is not currently experiencing. Really, in a very real sense, the choice to engage our body in worship is sometimes a prophetic step of faith. It's a prophetic step of faith. It's not a response to what we're already feeling. It is a prophetic step of faith. I am choosing to raise my hands, even though my heart doesn't feel like it. I am choosing to lift my head, even though my heart doesn't feel like it. I am choosing to kneel, even though my heart doesn't feel like it, because of where I want my heart to be. It's where I want my heart to be. So I am choosing to engage my body so that my heart can move that direction. Again, my encouragement 
is for us to grow in our experience of worship by trying a new posture of worship that we haven't done before or haven't, we're not as comfortable with or whatever. And by the way, this doesn't have to be in a church service. Some of you are like, oh, whew, thank you for saying that. Okay, really, it doesn't. So I encourage you, especially if this is new to you, practice these postures of worship when you're by yourself with the Lord, when you're spending time with the Lord and no one else is around, just you and him. Maybe you have never raised a hand before, and it feels so weird. I remember it felt so weird the first time I did that years ago. It just felt so weird. Maybe you've never raised a hand before, but you choose to do it. You choose to practice this in your time alone with God, May, and, and, and it makes a huge difference. Maybe you've never knelt before, but you choose to do it when you're alone with him. There, there's something really powerful about that. Honestly, it's like a breakthrough. I'm serious. It, it, it helps break through the initial awkwardness that we all feel, whatever the new posture happens to be. It helps, it's a, it, it helps us break through that um, because we're by ourselves, and we're, but we're just doing, we're, our body is doing that. It just helps break through that. So sometimes when I'm alone with God, I will dance before him. You do not want to see this. Trust me. You do not. It is not pretty. And, and it feels sort of awkward. When we step out of our comfort zone and express worship to God in a new way, it honestly feels vulnerable. It feels really vulnerable. And I think that's what makes it so beautiful to God. That's what makes it so beautiful to God. I mean, don't you love how little children have no self-consciousness about their dancing or singing or singing off key or raising hands or twirling or whatever? They have no self-consciousness. But then we grow up. We grow up and every move is filtered through the lens of what will someone else think of me? What if I look foolish? It's kind of sad. Every move we make is filtered through that lens. <laughs> you know, maybe this is part of what the Bible means when it talks about a sacrifice of praise. Giving God a sacrifice of praise. Maybe what we're sacrificing is some of our pride. Maybe what we're sacrificing is some of our self-consciousness, some of our self-absorption. What are people going to think of me? Oh, what am I going to look like? Blah, blah, blah. Maybe what we're sacrificing is some of that. And, and we're choosing to become like a child. Freely expressing our love for Jesus, not just with our words, but with our bodies. Imagine what that does to the heart of our, to the heart of our God when he sees us, his children, worshiping him in new ways stepping out of our comfort zone to express our love for him in a way that makes us feel kind of vulnerable. We're going to do it. You know, just imagine how that makes God feel. I long, I long for us as a, as a church to be a house of worship, to be a place of freedom where we together express with our whole being our worship of Jesus who is worthy of all of that and more. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right, let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the way you've made us.
that we are not just a brain and we are not just a heart. We are, we are a, a, a being, an interconnected being. And thank you that you've made us this way. There's a connection between our body and our heart that we are designed this way. It's a beautiful thing. And God, we want to be a people who grow in our worship of you, who step out of our comfort zone and into the freedom of expressing our worship of you in, in maybe a new way, a way that, that, that is out of our comfort zone or whatever, but it's a way that expands our heart experience of you. And so, God, I want to pray. Would you help us be like little children once again? moving beyond our self-consciousness and our filters of what are people thinking and all of that. Even when we're by ourselves, we think these things. Is anyone looking? Is anyone looking through the window? I mean, it's crazy how we, we live with these filters. And I just pray you would help us grow to be like little children just and, and, and moving beyond our self-consciousness and, and, and into this vulnerable place where we're just offering our love to you and our worship to you. Help us, God. Would you help us as a church be a house of worship? Be a people who worship you with all of our being, our hearts and our bodies. Help us grow in this, Lord. <laughs> and to move out of our comfort zone, whether it's by ourselves when we're worshiping you or, or when we're together, whatever that looks like, God, just help us grow in this amazing thing that just pleases your heart, warms your heart, and that's worship. So in addition to all the ways that we've talked about, we have another opportunity today to engage in worship using our bodies, and that's through the partaking of the Lord's Supper. So we have, we have tables set up around the room. There are four tables up here. There are four at the back. And, and we invite you, when the music starts, to come up to or to go back to receive the bread and a cup of juice as reminders of what Christ has done for you. And again, coming to a table, we're moving our bodies. And there's something about coming to a table where this is something we receive. We receive. It's a way to engage in worship. Now, the last time we did this in our service a month ago, we engaged it in a little different way. And I'm, well, I want us to do that again. Um, so rather than just coming to a table, we want the elements to be served to you by someone in your church family. So this becomes not just an individual thing, I'm coming to a table, but actually a, um, we're, you're, you're, you're being served um, the, the elements, but just offer the tray. Um, and so the way we're going to do this, just like last time, we need volunteers. So we're going to need a couple volunteers at every table, one just holding the tray of bread. That's all you have to do. And the other just holding the tray with the juice. And, and when people come up, you're just going to offer the tray to them. Now, at the longer tables on the right and left, we need, um, it'd be better probably to have four people on those. It works fine with two on the smaller tables. So why don't we all stand? And, and we have no one... No plants to go fill it. We honestly have no volunteers at this point. Uh, so we really just need, if you would like to volunteer, if you're willing to volunteer, just come to a table. Um, again, two, two, four, four. It'd be bread juice, bread juice, 
and then one of each here, one of each there, the same thing, bread and juice, bread and juice. Just fill up these tables if if you're able. Got some people coming up to that one. We need another person up here. Awesome. How are we doing at the back? Are we good at the back? We're good? Okay. All right. So those of you who are serving, um, if you would stay at least through the first song. So just when the first song is done, you can just put the tray back and go back to your, your, your seat. Um, I think that's all. So I'm going to pray for us. And I want to encourage us. We're entering into this time of worship where the Lord's Supper is one way we're going to engage. And, and we've talked about other ways to engage whatever God is stirring in your heart. But let's just make this about Jesus because he is so worthy of that. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for your son who gave his life for us. And we remember that right now in a tangible way. We, we remember that with the bread, which represents your body, Jesus, given for us. And the juice, which represents your blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so as we partake, as we partake, we remember and we celebrate in our hearts this amazing gift you have given us of a relationship with you. And I pray too, we pray too, that our hearts would be free to worship you in this time we have together in all the ways that that we we have opportunity. We want to worship you, Jesus. Set us free to do that.